Amen. Praise the Lord. Take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn in the back of the New Testament to the little epistle of 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, thinking this morning as we continue on in a series called The Signs of the Times, and the message today is from atheist to anti-theist, and there's a vast difference between an atheist and an anti-theist. So when you find 2 Peter chapter 3, would you join me in standing, please? And I hope you'll follow along in your copy of God's Word. You can follow along also on the screen. This is the Word of the living God. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, I've been preaching a long time. I preached my first sermon when I was 17 years of age. I was a high school senior, and uh, it was the hardest sermon I ever preached. I had about uh, uh, three weeks, four weeks, something like that, to prepare that sermon. And I preached it out of Romans chapter 1. In fact, a few uh, months back, a couple of years ago now, when I was elected president of the state convention, I was asked to speak at uh, Beeson Divinity School, and I took my text from that same text. Didn't preach the same sermon, and here's why. After studying for three weeks and making 12 pages of notes, I got up and preached that sermon in eight minutes. Now, I've had many requests from you to preach that sermon. Uh, I don't have it anymore, all right? It takes me eight minutes to introduce a sermon now. But uh, that was all I knew. But I've been preaching a long time. When I started preaching, there were atheists. In fact, uh, I'll be honest with you, I never met an atheist until I went to New Orleans Seminary. And one of my assignments at New Orleans Seminary was to interview atheists. Well, I thought, where am I going to find an atheist? Well, I thought Jackson Square. And so I went down to Jackson Square one Saturday afternoon, and I carried my little notebook, and I would walk around, and I would go up to people, and I would say, do you believe in God? And they'd say, well, yeah. I'd say, well, you don't qualify. And, uh, <laughs> and, I, and then I finally found five different people who said they didn't believe in God, and I had a battery of questions to ask them. And, and I would say this, of those five people that said they didn't believe in God, nobody was antagonistic about it. Everybody was cordial. Uh, they thought it was uh, wonderful that I was studying to be a preacher and that I would come out to Jackson Square to, to talk to them. And I wrote up that report, and Dr. Fisher Humphreys was my theology professor. I was taking a course on apologetics. I made an A in that course, 
because I had so much information from the 5A. And there was not an, an antagonistic word. In fact, uh, some of them were very cordial. Uh, atheism has changed in the last 40 years. Uh, most atheists now are angry atheists, and in fact, they would rather be called anti-theist. And the man who really popularized that term is a man named Christopher Hitchens. He was born on April the 13th, 1949. He died on December 15th, 2011. And this comes from Wikipedia. You know, if, if you ever did anything, it's on Wikipedia today. And, uh, but this is, this is uh, from his uh, Wikipedia biography. It says he's a noted cr critic of religion and a self-described anti-theist. He said that a person could be an atheist and wish that belief in God were correct. And that's the way most of them were when I interviewed them many years ago. But he said, but that an anti-theist, and notice this, he, these are quotes from him. He said, a term I'm trying to get into circulation is someone who is relieved that there's no evidence for such an assertion. His 2007 book, God is Not Great, sold over 500,000 copies. On December 15, 2011, Hitchens died from pneumonia, a complication of his cancer in the MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas. Now that came from Wikipedia. The next, the next sentence came from Brother Mike. On December 15, 2011, Christopher Hitchens met the God that he didn't believe in. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. Whether you're an atheist or, or whether you're Billy Graham, that's what the Bible says. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. Well, uh, what can I say? And I, I really want these young people to pay attention today uh, because there's a lot of people out there who are now anti-theists, not just atheists, but anti-theists. And one thing about them, that I guess the thing that's most uh, uh, Notable about them is that anti-theists say there is no God. But guess what? This didn't catch God by surprise. Uh, God knew this was going to happen. In fact, he inspired Peter to write these words, In the last days, scoffers will come. Now, most of the time, I have to be honest with you, I use the King James at 8 o'clock. I use the NIV at 9.15 and 10.45. And, and, but I would, I, if you came to my study and you would say, Brother Mike, which translation of the Bible is the closest to the original Greek and Hebrew uh, that, you've, that you've read of all the different translations? Which would you say is the closest to the original Greek and Hebrew? And normally I would tell you that the New American Standard Bible, the NASB, is the closest. But notice on this, those who attempt this program of ridicule are called mockers in the New American Standard Bible. The King James and NIV translate it scoffers, a translation that is a bit superior because in modern English, to mock often means to make fun of someone by acting like them, whereas to scoff means to ridicule, and that, as we shall see, is what Peter goes on to discuss. Anti-theists don't just mock the idea of believing in God. They ridicule it. They look at you as if you have rooms to rent upstairs when you tell them that you believe in God, when you tell them you believe in the Bible, when you tell them you believe that mankind is sinful and needs to be saved. They don't believe any of that. Well, first of all, they scoff at God's existence. Now, you know, all of us have witnesses beyond ourselves. Our internal witness, our own heart and our soul, that's an important witness. I hope today that you're at peace internally. I hope that your heart, your soul, your life is at peace. 
But these atheists say, well, there's no evidence for the existence of God. All you have to do is just look. How in the world could you look at this magnificent world that God created and believe there's no creation, creator? Uh, I heard a thing the other day, it was funny. Uh, everybody has always said, well, you know, if, if you had enough monkeys and they typed long enough, they could predict a, produce a Shakespearean sonnet. So guess what somebody that had a whole lot of time and a whole lot more money than they had since did? They got a computer and they put it in a room full of monkeys and they hooked it up to a computer. And all the time those monkeys got on the keyboard, they typed and typed and typed and typed. And finally, after a month, they had typed 50 pages. Not only did they not produce a Shakespearean sonnet, they didn't produce one word. And I mean, an is a word, a-n is a word. It wasn't in there. Now, you say, preacher, what's the point of that? Well, people said if you had enough monkeys and had enough typewriters and had enough time, you could produce a Shakespearean sonnet. Well, that didn't happen. Well, folks, isn't it something that people of science say this just happened? We can't tell you how it started. We can't tell you whether it was a big bang or a black hole, but they deny the existence of a creator with the evidence of the creation. They scoff at God's existence. They scoff at God's creation. They believe this just happened. Let me tell you why it's so bad what they're doing today. Because they're telling us that we, we're like animals. You see, if you believe in evolution, you believe that you started out as something else. You know, that may have been your great-grandfather, it might not have been you, but way back there a long time ago, somebody wasn't human in your line if you believe in evolution. Well, guess what's come along in the last 30 years that kind of shot down evolution? A little thing called DNA. Now, I'm not up here today to tell you that I'm an expert on DNA, but I do know this, that scientists say the DNA that they have found in human remains dating back as far as we can find human remains, is exactly the same as it is today. And yet, evolution is still taught as a law and not a theory in science classrooms. They scoff at God's existence. They scoff at God's creation. They scoff at God's salvation. Or you see, they believe that they need no salvation because they are the highest. They are the epitome of the human race. The rest of us are, are inferior to them. And most of them have a very strong superiority complex. But they don't need to be saved because they say there's no sin in the world. There's no right or wrong in the world. You see, they're the ones who've come out and said, there are no absolutes. Well, friend, I want to tell you there are absolutes in the world. God is an absolute. The Bible is an absolute. Salvation through Jesus' blood is an absolute. There are absolutes in the world. By the way, when you add up two and two and get five, something's wrong with your arithmetic, all right? Because it's always going to be four. Two plus two is always, that's an absolute. There are things that were wrong a thousand years ago. They're wrong today. They'll be wrong 10,000 years from now. The Lord tarries his coming. They scoff at God's salvation. And then they scoff at God's revelation. They make fun of the Bible. There was a Frenchman named Voltaire, and he was one of the first existentialists, and uh, he made fun of the Bible. He said, within a hundred years, there will not be a Bible in all of France. You know what was going on a hundred years after Voltaire? His house had been converted 
into a place where they printed copies of God's Word in French. I, you know, God, God has poetic justice sometimes in this world. Voltaire said there wouldn't be a Bible in France in 100 years, and 100 years later, they're printing Bibles in his house in France. Uh, God ha has a funny way of coming out on top. So anti-theists and anatheists say there is no God. Secondly, anti-theists and some atheists live as if there is no God. Notice why. Not, not only do they say there's no God, but they're scoffing and following their own evil desires. And, and uh, Dr. Baker says these scoffers, Peter informs us, are doing this according to their lusts or desires. Now here's the point. You say, preacher, why are you going to speak on anti-theists and atheists when uh, there might be one or two here this morning? Uh, and, and there may not even be an atheist. or an a You say, why would an atheist go to church? I don't know, but they do. There was a man who came to this church for years when we were down on Church Street. He sat right in the very back in the corner. And I was talking with him one day, and I said, I understand you don't believe in God. He said, no, I don't. And I said, why do you come to church? He said, well, I like to hear somebody preach that does believe there is a God. Now, he quit coming after a while, but for years he came to church, sat back there. He, he never, never did deny his atheism, never professed faith in Christ, but he heard the gospel. Uh, but, but a lot of these people, they want to make their own rules. They, they feel like, hey, I'm, I'm the highest form of evolution. I can make my own rules. Years ago, there was a famous atheist named Madeline Murray O'Hare, and she was president of the National Atheist Association. And all of a sudden, Madeline Murray O'Hare went missing. And guess what? A lot of the money that the National Atheist Association had went missing with her. And so they never really did solve the case, but they were very, very close to being able to prove that another atheist killed Madeline Murray O'Hare and several members of her family dismembered them and absconded with the money. You say, no, preacher, I'm not an atheist. Why are you telling me this? Listen, young people, when you know what the Bible says about right or wrong, and the Bible says to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. When you know something is wrong and you do it anyway, you're living like an atheist. Now that may be pretty heavy this morning, but you need to understand that. God gave us these rules. The Bible's not a rule book or regulation book, but there are some rules in there. And we need to follow those rules. Atheists don't want to follow any rules. They want to live like they want to live. They want to do what they want to do. We're going to see that in a minute in Christopher Hitchens' life. But they have no rules. Secondly, there's no righteousness. You see, if you're an atheist and there's no absolutes, you don't believe in wrong or right, you just do what you want to do. Uh, that means you, you can, can live like a hedonist, which means you have no rules about living. There's no right rules. There's no wrong rules. You just do what you want to. But the third thing is, if there's no rules, there's no redemption. And the Bible very plainly says here, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. And then notice this, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That sentence tells me that God loves everybody and wants everybody to be saved. Now, will everybody be saved? No. Jesus said more people would be lost than would be saved, but there is salvation available, and it's only available through Jesus Christ. Now, atheists say, oh, that's narrow. 
Well, I want to tell you, I didn't make that rule. Jesus did. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And there are going to be people at the end of time who are going to say, well, hey, I, I, I was one of yours, Jesus. I, I went to D now. I wore the T-shirt. I sat in church with my friends, and, and I made a decision, and I was baptized. I want to tell you, if you're a follower of Christ, you know what marks you as a follower of Christ? Not the fact that you wear a T-shirt. I'm glad you do. I'm glad you all have T-shirts alike. I think that's great. I think it's a great witness. But, you know, you can wear that T-shirt and not know Jesus, and when you die, you'll be separated from God eternally. You can be baptized in this baptistry. I'm going to go up here in a few minutes after this service and baptize two ladies at the beginning of the next service. But you can be baptized in that baptistry and die and go to hell. You see, what happens is we are saved by Jesus Christ when we are changed. Something happens inside of us. I was an old sinner, lost, separated from God, but I admitted my sin. I looked to Jesus. I realized he died on the cross for me. I thought he could save me. I called on his name, and guess what? He saved me. And my life is different. I'm not the same. Has Christ made a difference in your life. If not, you may not be saved. They don't believe in a holy God, so they don't believe in a fallen mankind, so they die in their sins, denying that sin even exists. They are blinded by their own pride. That's the pet sin of atheists and anti-theists. It's pride. They think they're so far superior to everybody else. They think they're far superior to the idea of a supreme being. Well, not only do anti-theists say there is no God and anti-theists live as if there is no God, anti-theists and atheists like that pray that there is no God because Peter says what happens to them, reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Now, some of you this morning say, well, Brother Mike, I bet you'd like to go to Christopher Hitchens' grave this morning. I bet you'd like to get on his grave and do a little dance, wouldn't you? You're glad he died last December. Can I tell you that if I felt that way, I wouldn't be standing in this pulpit this morning. When I preach about hell, I preach about it with a broken heart because you don't have to go there. Jesus died. When Jesus died on the cross and he said it is finished, the battle of the ages was finished. You say, well, he hadn't been resurrected yet. The resurrection was coming and he knew it. He said on the cross, it's done. It's accomplished. And when he died, the veil in the temple was torn in half, saying there's no more separation between God and man. Friend, I want to tell you this morning, I'm brokenhearted. About even people who aren't atheists, but they live like there's no God. People whose names are on our church roll, and yet they never darken the door of the church. They never go to Sunday school. They never read their Bible. They never do something in Jesus' name. Or maybe they do, but they're doing it because they feel like they have to do something to get their conscience to relieve them and not because they want to please God. Listen, friend, don't do right for any other reason than to please God. That's why you do right. That's why you do the right thing. That's why you shouldn't be a bully at school. That's why you ought to help people that need help. I was at Walmart the other day, and this lady came out in one of those carts. And she pulled up to her car, and there was a hatchback, and she said, I said, ma'am, can I help you? And she said, well, I would appreciate that. And so 
I waited till she opened the hatch. She popped a button, the hatch opened up, and, and I started loading the stuff. She said, there are two orders there. I need to, I need to sell. So she got off that cart, and she put, I'd hand them to her, and she'd put them over here and put them over here. And we got through. I said, well, ma'am, you want me to take the cart in? She said, no, I need to go pick up my mama in it. So she drove back to Walmart and picked her mama up and then came back. I wanted to help that lady because she looked like she needed help. I didn't do that to have you pat me on the back or say, hey, God, look what I'm doing. You know why I wanted to help that lady? Because Jesus put it in me. And when I see somebody that needs help, I need to help them. When people come to this church and want help, we help them. We may not give them what they want. We tell them, hey, we're not going to let you leave here hungry. Why do we do that? Because Jesus told us to do that. We don't do it just to make our consciences feel better. We do it because when you're saved, there's something inside you called the Holy Spirit that makes you want to help people. But anti-theists pray there's no God because if we're right and they're wrong. Now, I know the word pray may bother some of you. You say, what? well, I'm talking about deep down inside. You see, what they say is, they say that there's, you just, you're just like an animal. You live and then you die. But I believe sometimes at night, the thought comes to them, hmm, what if that old fat preacher down at Pelham's right and we're wrong? And by the way, what if they're right and I'm wrong? You know what I've done? I've had a great life. I have had a great life. Nobody's had a better life than I have. You know, I, I, you know if I died and that's it, you know, I, I, when I close my eyes in death, that's just the end. I have had a great life, and I have no regrets. But if I'm right and they're wrong, when they die, they'll spend eternity in a place called hell, separated from a loving God that they never knew, that they denied even existed. I've always wanted to ask an atheist, how much of an atheist are you? That's why I say they pray there's no God. You see, for an atheist to have to be able to say, I know absolutely, positively, beyond the shadow of doubt, there's no God, they would have to know everything there is to know in the universe. I'm kind of scared to ask this with so many students here today, because there'll probably one raise his hand or her hand. But just think about this. Don't raise your hand. Think about it. If I were to ask you honestly, well, let me ask Donnie. I'll pick on Donnie since he's down here. Donnie, do you know everything there is to know about the world? Do you know everything? Okay. So you're ignorant about some things. Well, our youth pastor just admitted he's ignorant. I mean, you know. <laughs> he said it for the whole church. Now, now listen. Listen to what I'm going to say. I would also have to plead ignorance. Do, you, do I think I know everything there is in the world? No. I, in fact, I know I don't know everything there is to know in the world. But there is one thing I do know. I know that I was made in the image of a holy God, that he breathed into me the breath of life, that I have a body, but inside this body there's a soul and spirit that atheists may deny, but I think sometimes on a night, late at night, they may think, what if the preacher's right and I'm wrong? Well, let me go ahead and tell you a little more about Christopher Hitchens. He was born in 19. When he was born, I was almost a year old. He attended Oxford. Now, I'm not saying anything about him he didn't say about himself, so please don't think I'm, I, I'm saying this to, uh, to, to put him down anyway. I'm just telling you what he said in his uh, autobiography, Hitch 22. He wrote of his homosexual experiences in boarding school and college. His mother committed suicide with her lover, 
who was an ex-clergyman in 1973. Does that give you any idea why he might hate Christ and the church, that his mother's lover was an ex-clergyman who led her in a suicide pact in 1973? He lived as a liberal journalist, became a socialist. He, he was an anti-Zionist. He did not believe the nation of Israel ought to have a place in the world. He criticized Mother Teresa. Now I want to tell you, when you criticize Mother Teresa, that's pretty low. Do you know why he criticized her? Because she was not just doing things to help the poor. She was also teaching them about God. That's why he criticized Mother Teresa. He married in 1981. He had two children. He left his wife for another woman and had a daughter with her. He was a heavy drinker and smoker. He was diagnosed with cancer of the esophagus on his deathbed. He sent a message to the American Atheist Convention don't keep the faith. In other words, he was saying to them, Don't hear, you're not going to hear of a deathbed conversion from Christopher Hitchens. He said, I'm going to die in my unbelief. His book, Mortality, will be published in September. Don't buy it, but it's coming out in September. Last book he wrote, Mortality. And again, remember, he does not believe in immortality, so he's saying when it's over, it's over, but the Bible says he's wrong. And Jesus' resurrection proves he's wrong. All right, let's look at his brother. He had a brother named Peter Hitchens. Peter was born in 1951. He also attended college in England, attended York University. Following down his brother's footsteps, he became a socialist and became an atheist. And while he was an atheist, he was lecturing and was doing some journalism in Dallas, Texas. And before he flew back to England, he had some time to kill. And so he went to the art museum in Dallas and he saw this picture. Now, the title of that picture is The Prodigal. Now, I don't know if that picture strikes you like it struck me, but I'll be honest with you. When I looked at that picture, I didn't want to look at it very long. I thought, man, what a depressing picture. Why, I remember the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son came home, and his father ran to meet him, and his father gave him a robe and shoes and a ring, and they killed the fatted calf, and they had a party. I said, this guy comes home and the house is falling down. The fatted calf has already been, his bones have already been picked. It's depressing. Do you know what? As Peter Hitchens looked at that painting, he realized that that countryside was England and that man standing there was himself. And the message there is the prodigal came home too late. You know what happened? He got on a plane, flew back to England, joined the Church of England, and was baptized. He's an advocate today of moral virtues founded on Christian faith, and he's an advocate of institutions such as marriage. He wrote of the King James Version. Listen to this. This is beautiful. It is not simply a translation, but a poetic translation written to be read out loud, to lodge in the mind, and to disturb the temporal with the haunting sound of the eternal. Here was a man who was following his brother's footsteps down the road to atheism and hell, and that painting... A painting called The Prodigal was used by God to turn his life around. 
Now, what's the point of the message today? Well, first of all, we don't need to step back and keep quiet when atheists are so vocal. If there's ever been a time when the redeemed of the Lord need to say so, it is today. And we need to voice, I believe, I'm not ashamed of my belief. I believe that God loves me. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe he rose again. And I believe Jesus will save to the uttermost those who call upon him, even a man who's been an atheist. Because God is rich in mercy and love and is not slack concerning his promise toward us as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of repentance. What are we doing to show the world that there is a God? There's an old, old song we used to sing. It goes like this. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Won't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. Sing it with me. Won't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. Won't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. That's right, hold it up. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Is your light shining today? Let's pray. Father, help us to remember that we are lights in a dark world. And help us to allow the light that you put in our souls when Jesus came to be our Lord and Savior. Shine through the darkness of sin. And Lord, may we...